Welcome to Unity of Tucson. Jonathan, I know you're watching, maybe. Hopefully you're sleeping in, because <laughs> it's 7 o'clock in Hawaii. But just to really, I really want to take an opportunity for all of us to acknowledge the depth and the breadth of the work that he's done. And it's so much of it is behind the scenes. He does an amazing job on Sunday morning. This is a fraction of what happens in a church. It's behind the scenes. So, so with that, let's jump into this. So... I gave him my talk title. It was actually a talk title that came to me. I was supposed to speak in June, and, you know, I got COVID, and we know how that goes, um, which I'm fine. Thank you, God. Um, so I've been playing with this talk title for a while, and so, you know, he asked me, what's your talk title? And I said, with God, all things are possible. So I ask you, let, let me say it again. With God, all things are possible. Yeah, my question for all of us do we believe it? I do too. Most of the time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, one of the things that I've learned over my years of uh, being in New Thought is to honor what I know and to stay humble to what I don't. And this past week was one of those weeks where I really had to stretch and work that spiritual muscle of belief because there was that in me that wanted to believe it, right? And then there was a part of me that was really struggling to believe it. And what, you know, and so I laughed because it's watch the talk title you give. <laughs> because this then becomes the content. One of the things that I help the people that I work with and, and you know, that I, I, I now have a business doing this sort of thing, helping people understand the spiritual side of business, um, is that I talk about how the content of our life is the curriculum of our evolution. And I had content this week to, <laughs> to invite me into a deeper understanding of what is it to be with God as we step into what seems to be the impossible. And so for all of us today, what I want to do is to dig deeper, is to really acknowledge that, yes, we believe that, and there is that in us that is inviting us to come to know that even more deeply. Are you all in for that? Yeah. Okay. So here's the thing that I love about that statement. There's two elements to that statement. First of all, it's descriptive. With God, all things are possible. All things are possible. It's a promise. It's telling me that there's not a single thing that I can be facing. There's not a single condition that's happening in my life, in my world right now. There's not a single thing that I can think up that's impossible because all things are possible with God. It's descriptive. It's a promise. The second thing I love about that statement is that it's instructive. It's telling me how to do it. All things are possible when I am with God. And so the invitation is to go deeper into the reality, into the awareness of what is it to actually be with God. Now, we've all done this, correct? Every single one of us sitting here in some way, shape, or form has had what appeared to be an impossible situation. And as we deepen our awareness of the power that moves through and as us, not only did we overcome it, but we allowed it to transform us at depth. We can all think of those times, correct? You know, when I think about myself, there's nothing in my history 
to suggest that I would be where I am today. That my history, my background told me, quite frankly, that I should be dead or just barely scraping by. That, you know, the environment that I grew up in, I grew up with very well-meaning parents and I deeply love and appreciate, in fact, yesterday, um, marked my dad's uh, uh, anniversary of, of, you know, he died four years ago, yesterday, and deeply appreciate him. And both my parents struggled with mental illness and addiction. So there was a terrific amount of darkness in my home. I mean, just the depth of violence was unspeakable at times. And, and I've learned to have deep compassion for people who struggle with mental illness and addiction. And, and, you know, but by the grace of God, with these principles, I, I deeply forgave, and it impacted me. It wired a way of moving in the world, a way that said that the world is not safe, a world that said, literally, if I raise my head up too high, my life was literally in danger. It was a world that said, don't expect too much, and certainly don't depend on God, because God was the one saying, that this is your cross to bear kind of thing. You know, the rare occasion I did speak up about what was going on in the house. It was so dark that in my early 20s, in my late teens and early 20s, I actually wondered if I should continue going on. And one of the things that I'm really grateful for, and this is gonna sound kinda odd, I'm really grateful for, for the, the religious tradition that I did grow up in, and I did grow up in a religious tradition, and I'm deeply grateful for elements of it, but that one of the things that it taught was that if you committed suicide, it was a mortal sin, and you didn't get to be buried in the cemetery. <laughs> and for whatever the reason, that was important to me, that I wanted, <laughs> I wanted to be buried in the cemetery. And I'm grateful for that because it kept me alive until the age of 22 when I was able to discover new thought principles. I was able to discover something different. And what I discovered was that there was a different way of living. There's a different way of being. There's a different way of relating to life. There's a different way of relating to myself and there's a, there, there's a different way of relating to God. And man, it's like I walked out of the basement of myself into a technicolor world. It's breathtaking, the transformation that happened. Every single one of us can identify those times in our life when we look at where we came from and where we are now. You know, when I look at, you know, I'm in a really wonderful 36-year relationship with this guy right here who's holding my purse. <laughs> You know, work that I love, we have a rich, abundant life, and the most important thing is that I'm able to move in the world from a place of safety, move in a world in a place of expansive, move in a world through the world from a place of deep abundance and well-being. And we've all experienced that. And being the highly spiritual, sophisticated community that Unity of Tucson is, it's a little tempting and a little seductive to sit back and say, yeah, I know that. I got this. And guess what? God's not done. <laughs> God's not done with any of us. When we really get who we are, in the words of Reverend Jonathan, that we are these magnificent, unlimited, powerful, beyond measure beings, then we understand that we are always charged in the spiral of our evolution 
with what is the next seemingly impossible thing that is going to invite us into a deeper awareness of what it is to be with God. And so there's something knocking at the door of your heart asking you to entertain what appears to be impossible. Are y'all still with me? Breathe. Yes, breathe, everybody. <laughs> I know, I got to take a breath. So, are y'all, so there's a line in, um, and I actually have a slide. I don't always use slides because I sometimes forget that they're there, but I've got one. So there's a great line in Alice in Wonderland, uh, uh, Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland, where Alice is talking to the queen. And Alice says, why, you can't believe impossible things. And the queen, and I can almost see her, you know, putting her hand on her hip and say, well, I dare say you haven't had much experience. Why, when I was at your age, I would always dream up and believe impossible things before breakfast. In fact, there was one time, there have been several times, when I believed six impossible things before <laughs> breakfast. Now, it's one thing to entertain something impossible. It's a whole other thing. Think of the mental move, the spiritual move that's required to believe, to believe an impossible thing. So, we're in the month of zeal, and there's nothing like igniting zeal than going for something that makes your heart flutter and you're scared and excited all at the same time. And so, are you willing to play along this morning? Oh, yeah. Yeah, of course you are. All right, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to bring to mind that thing that's been hanging out there on the peripheral of your consciousness that you've barely even let yourself entertain as a possibility. And I want you to bring it full on in this community, in this container of belief and safety and awareness and this energy of knowing who you are. Let yourself right now play in that playground of what appears to be impossible. Not what you think you can do, not which is a bit of a stretch. I'm talking about the thing that when you think about it, it absolutely takes your breath away and you don't have a clue on knowing how to do it. That's where you gotta reach for God. So right now, if you're playing along, bring something to mind. Now here's the thing I want you to know about your desire. Because what we're doing is that we're tapping into that deep soul desire. You know, as, I've, um, as I haven't been in the pulpit for a couple of years, I kind of got away from our rich unity um, material. I'm, you know, reading other stuff and studying and continuing my own study. But I stepped away a little bit from actually studying unity material. Y'all, we got, we got it going on. There's some great stuff. So I got familiar once again dug back into lessons and truth. And here's what H. Emily Cady says about desire. So when you bring to mind something that feels impossible, what you're doing is that you're asking. You are activating the act of asking. You know, Jesus, our master teacher, said, ask and you shall, be, you shall receive. But the thing about it is, is that in order to receive, we got to ask, right? So she says this, Asking springs from desire to possess some good. What is desire? Desire in the heart is always, always, not periodically, 
not once in a while, not now and then, always. God tapping at the door of your consciousness with his infinite supply. You know, God's infinite supply, universal intelligence. Remember, she wrote this back in the early 1900s and they used the pronoun he. So do the translation in your head. Desire in the heart is always God tapping at the door of your consciousness with his infinite supply. A supply that is forever useless unless there be a demand for it. Yeah, take that one in. All right, so I'm going to flip that over because we're coming back to Miss Dr. Katie. So right now, let's activate that supply. And let's use this amazing faculty of your imagination and really see it. So let's look at what is this based on? So, all right, so I have this dream, I have this imagination, I have this desire, it feels impossible, but how do I even do this? What's the practicality of how to bring it in from the realm of your imagination into the facts of your life? Well, I taught school for 20 years. I actually taught special ed for 12 out of those 20 years. And so I am very practical. If we can't tangibly do it, it's warm and fuzzy, but it's useless. So I want to actually give you four very specific steps on how to bring this um, Im seemingly impossible thing that God is dropping into your heart to be able to bring it into the three-dimensional reality of your life. So the first thing to understand, again, and to go deeper, is that we are powerful beyond measure. It's breathtaking how powerful we are. Y'all, if we really got how powerful we are, my God, we wouldn't be able to move. We'd just be on our knees in awe and gratitude of the power that we've been given. And what is this creative power? Do you all know what this creative power is? It's the gift of your imagination. We have been given this unprecedented capacity to create images in our faculty of our imagination. And... We, as far as we know, are the only species on the planet that has the ability to consciously choose those images that we run in what Joseph Murphy calls the movie screen of our mind. Now, we're always running movies. We can't turn this thing off. It's always running. I don't know about you, but sometimes I wish I could turn it off. In a way, I'm grateful that I can't because here's what happens in the realm of our imagination. When you are running movies in the movie screen of your mind, what happens is that it begins to activate physiological sensations in your body that we call feelings or emotions. Those feelings or emotions literally have an energy to them that quantum physics, I love that quantum physics is proving with spiritual masters, like our, our master teacher Jesus have known forever. Jesus was not necessarily spiritual. He was a master physicist. And he, right? And he understood what it was to work with this energy. And so what Jesus understood is that we live and move and have being in a field of energy that's responsive, that's creative, that's generative. And that there are waves of unformed energy hanging out what quantum physics calls superposition. And in some fantastical way, those thoughts, those images that were running in our imagination and charging with our feelings, 
actually defines how we see ourselves. It becomes our identity, and our identity is then transmitted into this field, and this energy then organizes accordingly and creates our results. I mean, we've all heard this. It's the basic explanation of the law of attraction, which actually is the law, the real law is the law of vibration. All right. So we've got that, right? We understand it. Nobody's new to this information. And if we really got it, imagine how reverently we would treat this. And we would come to understand that it is our spiritual stewardship to learn how to unlock this power by working with this imagination, by seeing those images, to be able to own what is it that God is knocking at the door of our heart in order to reveal more of God's self, more of our God self, to un unlock and unleash more of this supply that is dormant. It's useless. I mean, think about that. It's useless unless there be a demand for it. Now, so the first step is to, not, well, the preliminary step like the preschool step, is to own that we have this power and then to become devoted to images that bear witness to the power and the glory of that which is moving through us and which is us. Now, the next step is to understand that the purpose of those images it's not for what we get. This is not about accumulating more stuff. Although that's great. I mean, you know, I always love a good pair of shoes. <laughs> As my husband can attest to. Right? So there's nothing wrong with that. But to understand that that's not the purpose. That's not the purpose of those desires. That's not the purpose of God knocking at the door of our heart. If you go back to what H. Emily Cady said, she said that it unlocks the supply that is forever useless. Well, it's not just the supply of what's out there, it's the supply of you. She goes on. The only way God has of letting us know of his infinite supply and his desire to make it ours is for him to push gently on the divine spark living within each one of us. He wants you to be a strong, self-sufficient man or woman to have more power or actually to realize your power and dominion over all before you. So he quietly and silently pushes a little more of himself, his desire into the center of your being. He enlarges it, so to speak. Your, he enlarges, so to speak, your real self. He enlarges your real self. And at once you become conscious of, new, of the new desire to be bigger, stronger, grander. Your desire is the way that life force energy, universal intelligence, the essence of all that is, wakes you up to more of your magnificence. So see it, be it. Now, in the words of Jim Carrey, we can't just visualize and go to the refrigerator and make a sandwich, right? We got to act on it. And I love that our, our fifth unity principle is that we have to put these principles into action. Now, oftentimes we think of putting them into action in our daily routine, which absolutely, we go about our daily routine with a new awareness of who we really are. And here's the thing, when you're bringing into form that which seems impossible, 
you're going to ask to do some things that are a little scary. In fact, they're going to be knee-knocking scary. That the only way you could take those actions is if you know you are with God. That's the only way that you can do it. They're the kind of things that the impossible demands in order to be able to bring this internal imaginative manifestation into the 3D world. It, I would love, and maybe one of these days we'll figure out how to do this, just to be able to, you know, I'm going to show my age. You know, I dream a genie. when, <laughs> you know, Or bewitch, you know, wiggle your nose and, and boom, there it is kind of thing. For those of you who are not of that age, go look it up on YouTube. <laughs> but so it requires that we take those big, bold actions that cause us to have the clutch, that cause the butterflies in our stomach, when we don't know for sure if and how it's going to work out on a human level, and we're able to tap into the stream of consciousness that knows that the minute you think it up, the reality is already existent in the invisible field. It's up to us to act accordingly. Here's the thing. We organize our lives in terms of our routines, our decisions, and our actions based on what we believe. If you want to know if you really believe something, look at how you're showing up. Look at the actions that you're taking. It's one thing to be in a warm and fuzzy environment here and feel all, you know, all gooey inside that I believe this. It's a whole nother thing to put this into motion. When you know that God desire is asking you to do something, that's just causing you to shake down to the bottom of your toes. And here, so how do you know what action to take? Well, here's how you know. You work with the question, if I really believe this, if I really believe this, what is the action I would be taking right now? And you don't do it once, and you don't do it twice. It becomes spiritual mastery. This is the spiritual discipline, to dream into the impossible, to keep putting on being that person, and to ask. If I really believe this, what is the action I would be taking right now? You know, I love the story of flight. I love the Wright brothers. I, I just, I, you know, when you think about what those two guys did, they effectively slapped a, a fancy kite together, put a motor on it and a wheel, and said, we're going to fly. And that day, December 17th, 1903, Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, Imagine the conversation. You know, they've been working at this for a long time, trying to get this thing literally off the ground. And, you know, they've obviously had some successes along the way because they wouldn't be where they were at Kitty Hawk. And, you know, they crashed a lot. And there were people who died trying to figure out flight because they weren't the only ones in the world at the time doing this. So there they are at Kitty Hawk on December 17th. I think deep down knowing that this was going to be the time, and I can imagine the conversation. What I can imagine that it was not, it was not, all right, which one of us are going to do it? I ain't getting on that thing. <laughs> it's your turn. Well, maybe we should just rock, paper, scissors it. Right? They didn't do that. They had the image of the impossible in their mind. And they knew that the ability to bring the impossible was there and that they let 
the awareness and the belief in the impossible override the fear of getting on that thing. And that day in particular, it was Orville Wright. Orville got on it. You know, he got on the mechanized kite. You know, think about it. It was, it was canvas with whatever their version of PCP pipe was. <laughs> they built this thing. And it took off. It worked. And do you know how long that first flight was? 12 seconds. 12 seconds. Think of the transformation. It's like, it's like a veil dropped into a whole new dimension of possibility with a 12-second event. Now, granted, all of the work that led up to those 12 seconds, but it was a 12-second event. Imagine if Orville would have gotten, you know, safely back down to the ground, not only did he get up, but he got safely back down, which is an important piece of this. <laughs> Imagine if he would have gotten off and said, oh man, really? That's all we got? 12 seconds? All this energy, all this money, all, I am so done. I am packing it up and I am done. That's it. You know, we'd still be driving Model Ts. But he didn't do that. I can't imagine that he got off and they were just whooping and howling and I don't know if they did high fives or high tens there, but that they were celebrating, which is the fourth step. First one is to see it, be it, act it, and then we have to celebrate it. We are so, excuse me, so conditioned in our society today to think that it's gotta be the big Oprah moments. Now, by the way, that was a pretty big Oprah moment. But it was only a 12-second event, and we are so wired to dismiss those indicators that we're moving in the right direction, to diminish them, to deny them. Thomas Troward, in one of his lectures, the amazing metaphysical writer back at the turn of the last century, talks about how it's so important to acknowledge the sprouts along the way, that we have to acknowledge the growth that, it, that is happening. Otherwise, we just get overwhelmed with disappointment and discouragement, and it's not working, and maybe I'm really not supposed to do this. Maybe this really isn't God's will. Well, here's the thing. It's not that it's not working out to tell you whether or not it's God's will. It's do you come alive in the presence of it? That's it. That's how you know. Do I love the idea of this? And the more you're able to acknowledge the sprouts, the baby successes, the micro moves along the way, the more you get fueled to keep moving forward. All right, so I want to finish with this because I, you know, I'd forgotten about this and as I was preparing, I remembered this. We come from a tradition of visionaries. Now, I know that sounds like a bit of an oxymoron, putting visionary and tradition in the same sentence. But we come from a tradition of visionaries. Charles Fillmore had a vision back in the mid-1880s where he saw this movement. He was in Kansas City. Him and um, um, Myrtle were in Kansas City at the time. And he saw this movement. And he began to do the work to put the movement together. In 1920, and they're related, so stay with me, in 1920, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, the first commercial radio station was launched. In 1924, when it was still an unproven commodity, 
Charles Fillmore didn't just have a radio program. He bought a radio station and moved it to Unity Headquarters, which was on Tracy, Tracy, down in, on Tracy Street in Kansas City at the time. He bought, folks, listen to this. Radio was brand new. Nobody knew where this thing was going to go. And this man could see the vision to buy a radio station dedicated to this message. That's the impossible being made possible. That's visionary. He was always on the cutting edge. And in one of his last pieces that he wrote, Adam Smashing Power of the Mind, which is an amazing book, he was trying to make sense of the atom bomb. And in Char Charles understood that God was present in everything, even in the things that were unfathomably horrific and dark. But he understood the power that got unleashed in terms of understanding of how to break the, um, the atom. Oh, God's calling. <laughs> so here's what, he, here's what he says. Here's what he talks about when he's thinking about microwaves. And he wrote this back in 1947 or 1948 when we barely had the telephone. He says, now that man has broken away from his limited visualizations and mentally grasped the unhampered idea of the supermind, he is growing grandly bold, and his technical pioneers are telling him that the achievements of yesterday are as nothing compared to those of tomorrow. And he talks about an article where it says, um, tells of the microwaves that are slated for a more spectacular career in the realm of the unbelievable than anything that has preceded them. This article describes in detail some of the marvels that will evolve out of the utilizations of microwaves, among which may be the mention of private phone calls by hundreds of thousands sent simultaneously <laughs> over the same wave band. Sometimes we, will, we wish that that didn't happen, but it did. Over the same wave band, without wires, poles, or cables, towns where each citizen has its own radio frequency over which he can get voice and music and television. And this was before television was really a thing. And call any phone in the country by dialing. Yeah! This is us, guys. This is where we come from. It's in our DNA. We are wired as a spiritual movement to be visionaries, to dream into the impossible, knowing we can bring it in to physical reality. So here's my invitation for all of us. Really get that that desire knocking at the door of your heart, that's not your desire. That is God calling you to step into more of what's available for you, more of who you are created to be. And the gift is, is that as you do that, you transform at depth. And it's not the achievement of the goal that changes our world. It's the transformation of you. And as each one of us steps into that, imagine this room of each one of us stepping in just to the next thing, how truly we exponentially transform and heal our planet. God bless. You may not want to be standing or clapping after you hear the homework. <laughs> so here's your homework. Oh, 
Um, oh, I did have stuff up there. Okay, anyway, you got the message. So here's your homework. I invite you to spend some time each morning this week before breakfast and entertain and stay with it until you believe just one impossible thing. And then ask if I really believe this, if I really believe that this was possible, what's the action I would take and who would I be taking that action? And then do it and share it with me. Hi, this is Reverend Jonathan Zenz, and I want to thank you for listening to the podcast of my Sunday message. Your financial support will ensure that we can continue to offer this as an option for inspiration. You can make your tax-deductible contribution in any amount on our website, unitytucson.com. Once again, thank you for listening. You are magnificent. Namaste.